0: Hey, I'm Mary Ellen Dance, licensed mental health counselor and owner of Pittsburgh Therapy. I'm on a mission to strip away the stigma surrounding therapy and mental health and talk about how we can use the culture of self-improvement for our benefit rather than our demise. I used to think I was doing life all wrong from getting fired from a dream job to advising clients on relationships while I myself was trying to sort through that dumpster fire. But then I realized my imperfections are what made me a good therapist. So join me on a journey, not to be perfect, but to be, well, okay-ish. Welcome, your session has now started. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so, so excited to talk to all of you. And today is going to be kind of a little bit of a different episode because I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a book review. There's a really, really popular book right now. It's so popular, I think even a Kardashian read it. So obviously, we're probably trending on TikTok right now, but I read it and it has a lot of mental health themes in it. And so I wanted to talk about it. And I actually, have a guest on today to talk about it with me. Today, I am bringing on actually my sister-in-law, Nicole. Nicole is a lawyer. So that means she's really, really smart. And she reads like a book a day, basically. And so I only ever get book recommendations from her. And so I thought it would be more fun to bring her on because her and I talk about books a lot. And so thank you for joining me, Nicole. I'm happy to be here. It's very weird to be here
1: since I usually listen, but. (laughs) But it's not that weird. We talk about books all the time. That's true. Yeah. Just like talking about a book with a friend slash (laughs) sister-in-law.
0: Well, in full disclosure, everyone, I decided to do this episode last week and I texted Nicole and was like, can you read this book really quick so you can talk about it with me? And so she did. So
1: thank you for all the hard work leading up to it. It's no problem. I was reading a nonfiction book and I needed a break anyway. So it was totally fine to go into some fiction that does have some real life themes, but you know.
0: It does. It does. See everyone. She's really smart. She reads nonfiction. <laughs> so anyway, so the book we're going to be talking about today is a book called It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. If you haven't read it, we are going to talk about some spoilers. If you haven't read it, you may be interested in it. If you haven't read it, and you don't mind hearing spoilers, continue listening because the theme in this book is about domestic violence. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I actually thought it was a pretty good depiction of domestic violence. We'll get into that. There were some not so great things about the book too, that we'll also get into. But before we start an overview of the book is the main character, her name is Lily. The book goes back and forth between Lily's childhood or teenage years and Lily's adulthood. How old is she in the book, Nicole? Like late twenties, probably. I think she's like mid-twenties. Yeah. So it goes back and forth. So in her childhood, she talks about her parents' abusive relationship. And her dad is the mayor of her town. And she shares diary entries from when she was a teenager. And she witnessed abuse. And then in her adult life, mid-twenties life, present day, if you will, she meets a guy And that leads into a little bit of an abusive relationship. So it's kind of going back and forth with the mirroring of watching her parents' abuse and then the abusive relationship that she gets into. Am I missing anything in my little overview? I don't think so. So, how do you think, Nicole, it was a good depiction of domestic violence?
1: I thought it was a good depiction for a few reasons. I think the first reason is that they're not necessarily. A stereotypical couple that you would think of when you think of domestic violence. I feel like there's sort of a stereotype of a domestic violence victim, and you know, the man that she dates is a neurosurgeon, and you know, she's went to college, has worked in marketing, owns her own business, uh, stuff like that. And so, I thought it was a good depiction because, you know, it's not necessarily who you would normally think of when you think of domestic violence victims.
0: I absolutely agree. And same with her parents. Like when she was back in time, her dad was the mayor of the town and like well-respected. And I don't remember really much about her mom, but like, again, these are people with money. These are people with like a higher socioeconomic status and well-respected in the community, good at their jobs, successful, like all of that. And I think that people don't realize that, like, domestic violence, like, doesn't discriminate, like, no matter what demographics you're in. So I agree. Like, I really, really liked that. Also, in this book, she kept going back to him. And that is the biggest thing I hear from people. And I experience it as a therapist a lot, working with people who continue to go back. and don't get me wrong it's really fucking aggravating working with people who continue to go back like you just want to like shake them and be like don't go back but i felt myself like there were a few times in the book where i was like i was also torn i was like oh i just want this guy to like change and be good like i like
1: understood
0: why she kept giving him chances like what do you think about that
1: Yeah, I think it's really easy for people on the outside of domestic violence situations to just say like, Why don't you leave? Why don't you leave? But I think when you're so intimately involved with someone that you know, you live with them, you might share finances, you might have children, you know, it's really difficult to disentangle yourself from those situations. It's not necessarily as easy as just getting up and walking away. And at the end of the day, you do have feelings for that person. You know, there was theoretically something at some point where they had some kind of redeeming quality that you fell in love with or whatever. And it's just, it's not as easy as everyone thinks it is.
0: Well, and typically abusive relationships don't start out abusive. Like typically there's not abuse, you know, on the first or second date. So, and I felt that too. So in the, there were like three abuse incidents in this relationship throughout the book. And so thinking about that too, her and her, well, he turned into her husband, but her and her partner have like this years long relationship. And then there's these three incidents. And so the three incidents were very bad. And the third incident was the worst of them all. But the first incident, it was bad. It was bad. It was abuses, abuses, abuse, abuse. but you could see her being like, well, could I play this off as an accident? Wasn't an accident. Did he not mean it? I love him. I've had these years of like history of positive history and then this one incident and I think that that showed a really good like how people accidentally justify it you know like she's like this isn't the guy I know so maybe it was an accident like maybe it was an outlier incident
1: well yeah and I think I'm not sure I can't remember after which incident it was but then after one of the incidents she kind of finds out a revelation about him that kind of not justifies it, but sort of makes sense as to why he sort of has these episodes. And I'm not saying that that's an excuse or that it's okay. But I think when you find out something bad about someone's past where they, you know, might have, you know, done something or seen something that is not necessarily good. And then that impacts their present, you know, you might be more willing to forgive that person. And of course, the abusers always say they're going to work on things and stuff like that. And I think, I don't know. I mean, people are capable of change and you always want to believe that. But it's always a kind of balance of like, are they actually going to change or not? And you never know. But I would say on the whole, it's safer to get out if you well,
0: can. Well, I think the thing is like what Nicole's is referring to is that the abuser in this story, he let her know about a trauma that he went through. And right. you've heard, because I talk about this all the time, but I talk about trauma and like trauma is terrible and it can be an explanation, but it's not an excuse. And I feel like lately mm-hmm. in the real world, not in fictional books, but like in the real world, I hear people using trauma as an excuse. Yeah. And trauma can be worked on and healed. And it's fucking terrible. People who experience trauma and terrible things that happen to them in their lives. But again, It's not an excuse for abuse or other types of, you know, not so great behavior. And I feel like recently I've been hearing, you know, we're trying to destigmatize trauma, which is amazing. We're trying to destigmatize mental health, but also we can't just ignore it. We can't say, oh, this person has trauma you know, oh, I feel bad for them. We can feel bad for them and also not accept the behavior at the same time. And I think that's something that's like so, so hard for people. It's hard for me to have those conflicting views of like, I love this person and I feel bad for them. And I am a more understanding and I'm also not accepting of the behavior. Like those are two opposing views and it's so uncomfortable to live with two opposing views at the same time.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know that any people, except maybe lawyers, really like conflict. (laughs) um, I I like conflict. I love it. I, I do too. I mean, I do too. I don't really shy away from conflict. but. I mean, I think in general, one thing that really bothered me about his depiction of his trauma was that he said he had been in therapy basically since it happened. And I was like, well, sounds like you need to get a new therapist, dude, because your therapist clearly isn't working for you. You know, so that's one of my
0: cons about the book actually is yeah. like no one went to therapy in the book. at yeah. all. So like the main character, she witnessed her parents abuse a lot. She never talked about being in therapy her mom was in the book. Mom never talked about being in therapy. This guy like meant there was like one sentence about like, yeah, to therapy. And I'm like, all right, if we're talking about all this abuse, like we got to get everybody into therapy here.
1: Yeah, I mean, and she did list resources in the back of the book. So hopefully, if anyone's listening and experiencing this, they can get resources and help that they need. But and yeah, I mean, um, there will also be
0: resources listed in the description. And if you follow me on Instagram at Mary Ellen Dance, where I post all about the podcast, there's lots of resources there. Sorry, keep going. <laughs>
1: Perfect. No, that's good. That's good. She also wrote a note at the end of the book, too, that's sort of the author. I don't know if you were going to talk about that. I did um, read it.
0: Basically, wasn't her mom a victim of abuse? Like, isn't yes. that what she kind of said in the note?
1: Yeah, she said in the note that her mom was a victim of abuse. And she left when the author was three years old, I guess. Wow. So she still witnessed it, but witnessed it very young. I think she has an older sister or something too. So. so yeah, her mom ended up leaving when she was very young and then remarried to a great guy and stuff. So it's kind of like the rare... It seemed like the rare kind of, like, success story of such a happy um, story. domestic violence, which was is good, so but it did about- seem like it was really personal, and I think that probably helped a little bit in that, like, the domestic violence depiction was realistic.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I really liked in the book. So there's parts of the book where the main character Lily is in high school and she talks about hating her dad and how she would never marry someone like her dad and her dad ends up dying. And she talks about how she's happy that he's dead and all of these things. So a lot of people think that, oh, if she grew up in that type of household, she's the last person to get into an abusive relationship. But the statistics show that she's more likely to get an abusive relationship and she does. So I'm glad that that was a piece of the book too, because it shows that it does kind of like pre, predisposes the wrong word. It, it's not necessarily, a, there's a correlation there. Th- th- I mean, there's a correlation. It's not a causation, but there is a correlation. And one thing that can kind of explain the correlation is I talk to my students about this word a lot. The word is called schemas. So schemas are basically, we develop schemas in our brains about a story of how the world works. So if I'm a little baby and I see my dad hitting my mom, I develop this unconscious schema or story that, oh, that's how the world works. Dad's hit moms. Like, that's just what happens. So then I grow up and I have logic and reasoning and I can say, hey, this is bad. But I still have this kind of like background schema being like, no, this is how it's supposed to be. Like, this is how the world works. And I see that a lot with the kind of generational thing with domestic violence and how often, unfortunately, it is a generational thing because we have this unconscious view of this is how the world works. The good thing is we can change those views through, you know, therapy and lots of other things. But I think it's hard because we imitate what we see, whether we kind of consciously do that or not.
1: Oh, yeah, we definitely do it both consciously and unconsciously. (laughs) There are times when I realize I sound like my mom and I'm like, how did that happen? (laughs) Um, Not that I realize I sound really a bad thing, but and you too.
0: (laughs) I know. Nicole tells me I sound like my mom a lot and it is not great. No, my mom's lovely. (laughs) It's not bad.
1: (laughs) It's not a bad thing.
0: (laughs) Um, And as we get older, we do it even more.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think you definitely don't realize that when you're a teenager. Yeah. yeah, I really liked the teenage part of the book. I liked her diary entries. She wrote to Ellen DeGeneres, which I thought was kind of funny. The book was written in like 2016. So it's kind of old, actually. I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that the book is trending now because it was written, you know, how many years? Over five years ago. Yeah.
0: I honestly don't know why. I mean, I was told that part of the reason it's trending is because our Kardashian was reading it, but I'm guessing whatever Kardashian was reading it read it because it was like a recommendation because it was already probably trending so I don't know right
1: yeah book TikTok is apparently a very big thing I'm not on TikTok but I really I read a lot I do a lot of book Instagram so you know (laughs) maybe
0: maybe we'll get on book TikTok I don't know what that means I don't either so I think it's amazing that these things are being talked about, obviously, that they're being written about in a productive, appropriate way, that the author provided resources, all of that. Nicole is a uh, harsher on books than I am. <laughs> so what didn't you like about the book in relation to some of like the mental health domestic violence messages?
1: Well, I mean, even, even if you don't know that the book is about domestic violence in advance, which I did, so maybe it made me a little more easily able to predict things. But I mean, the first time she meets this guy, he's like kicking over a chair and stuff. And like, for me, that would be like a total red flag. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I'm married to your brother and I don't know that he really would kick over chairs or anything (laughs) like that. But, you know, like that really bothered me. That you know, it it just seemed unrealistic to, you know, want to... Date someone, and I don't know. It just the whole depiction of like love and sex just seemed very unrealistic to me. To the point that it could potentially be damaging. And I think a lot of romantic books, you know, romantic comedies or just straight up romance novels. I mean, they're just not realistic for real life. And like the domestic violence aspect of this book is good, but the rest of it, I did not like it all. So.
0: I Um, liked it. I thought it was like a. I thought it was a very engaging read.
1: Yeah, it was definitely entertaining. I will give it that. But just like the baseline realism for like everything was just too ridiculous to seem realistic to me. Well, Um, it seemed like a lifetime movie to me. Is what it? it, How I a lifetime movie? (laughs) Yeah. And well, well and it just bothered me that like okay these people's personal lives are like a you know dumpster fire yet like they're a successful neurosurgeon like you would think that these types of things would have impacts on their careers and things like that but no successful neurosurgeon no problem she owns a flower shop that like is, you know, amazing from day one, gets like awards and stuff like that. You know, another guy, the other love interest in the book, he, you know, owns a successful restaurant that's best in Boston right away. Like just stuff like that just didn't seem realistic to me. I mean, you own a business, you know how hard it is. Like... It's not it's like not a, like not you're like successful overnight, like <laughs> no. the overnight success stuff really bothered me for some reason.
0: So. The overnight success stuff also bothered me. But what bothered me even more than that is like romanticizing the abusive guy. So as a person who has experienced this before and fallen victim to this before the abusive guy in the beginning said, I don't want a relationship. I am never going to want a relationship. Now they do end up getting married, but that doesn't happen. And as a girl who's like been interested in guys before, they're like, I don't want a relationship. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, Hmm, maybe I'll change their minds. Right? Like
1: that yeah. is terrible. <laughs> yeah. That is a very bad message to send. And yeah, basically if a guy is telling you something like that, listen to him <laughs> and Ron, <laughs> that's my listen advice. To him. He's <laughs> not a t- to totally unqualified lawyer. <laughs>
0: But it's true. Like, Nicole is much more logical than I am. I kind of base all of my decisions off of feelings. And I feel like you make your decisions based off of logic.
1: I I mean, there's good and bad things about both approaches. I think ideally, you would have a balance of logic and emotions. Because obviously, you can write up the best pros and cons list in the world. But like, if something in your gut is telling you that it's bad, like, you still probably shouldn't do it. And I feel like that's kind of what she could have done with this guy. Like she could have written up this beautiful prose list and he's awesome. But then like, you know, your gut feeling is like, you should listen to that. (laughs) You should listen to that. So I've known Nicole for quite a long time.
0: And I feel like let's look back at, I mean, we're older now, but like when we were younger, I would watch like a romantic comedy and I'd be like sobbing and like, oh, I want a guy to do this. And Nicole would be like rolling her eyes. Like, come (laughs) on. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's true. You've always been a little bit more level-headed about those types of things. <laughs> yeah, level-headed, cynical, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I think
0: as a person who's experienced that before, as a person who's kind of like, you know, fallen into the romanticizing of people, I think that this book definitely, definitely fell into that, which can be pretty dangerous for people.
1: Yeah, I just feel like the whole like sweeping you off your feet is just like, it's, kind of like a played out stereotype that's just not super interesting and is not realistic for real life. I mean, at the end of the day, like relationships take work and you can't just, you know, it's not just, Oh, like this person is so attractive and we have great sex. Like you also have to have some kind of relationship that works for both of you. And I don't know. It felt, it felt like a lot of their relationship was based on sex and not Sort of bothered me too. So, yeah, there was a lot of lust. Yeah, there a lot of lust. Lots of lust, which I don't know. Maybe it's because they were younger and now I'm older. So it's just like, yeah, whatever. Maybe I was like that when I was younger. I have no idea. But I, don't I, so. I mean, I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it.
0: Okay. So let's go through the book with some red flags and green flags of dating. Yeah. So, you already mentioned one of your big red flags was the first time the main character met the abusive love interest. He was like throwing chairs. Red flag number one. What were some other red flags?
1: There was a lot of sort of controlling behavior, I thought. And I don't know. I think a lot of this came up during the sex parts of it. But it was like, put your hand here, do this, do that. It felt like he was kind of like ordering her around. Mm -hmm. And that sort of controlling thing seemed like a red flag to me.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that what was the book that talked about S&M?
1: Fifty Shades
0: of Grey? Yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey. I never I read, read it, that one. Me neither. And I never saw the movie. But uh, I feel like that romanticized that like in the bedroom, yeah. like, controlling stuff. And I don't care what anybody does in the bedroom as long as it's consensual. Yeah. Really but like we have to be careful that that type of like personality view doesn't bleed over. Right. Because I mean, yeah. even, like being like very dominant in the bedroom, like it's hard for me to imagine you not being a little bit of that way outside of the bedroom, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean, one of the other red flags related to that was that I think he told her, like, right away that he wanted to have sex with her. And that just seemed... Like, I mean, I guess now there's apps for that and all that stuff, but you know, like, yeah. so the
0: first night they meet, he's throwing yeah. chairs and then they get into a conversation and she, you know, admits something to him. I don't even know what it was, but she's like, yeah. Oh, you're a stranger, but I'm going to tell you a secret. So she tells him a secret and he goes, I'm going to tell you a secret too. I want to fuck you. Yeah. am like, um, like that's not cute. Like that's yeah. not romantic. That's not cute. It's not respectful. Like. Yeah. If anyone talks to you like that run away. Right. And I think that we have, like, we've romanticized this of like, oh, that's amazing. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like if he wanted to say, I think you're beautiful. That's one thing. So it was like a little bit weird. So the relationship kind of starts out and she's like, I want a relationship. And he says, I never want a relationship. So she's like, okay, I'm not going to have sex with you. I'm not going to date you, whatever. And then he like shows up at her door begging her to have sex and is like, Let me just have sex with you once. And then like, I'll get you out of my system kind of thing. Yeah,
1: that was gross.
0: Thankfully, (laughs) she says no, which was a good thing that she said no. But like, that was also like a weird red flag to me. Well, she didn't
1: say no, though. She was eventually going to let him and then he fell asleep. Oh, I don't remember that. She originally said no, and then she was like, you know what, whatever, I'm young, like I can have a one-night stand. And like she's like, but I have to go take a shower. And so she like went and took a shower, and then he fell had fallen asleep by the time she got out of the shower. Oh, yeah, that's a So right she actually point. was gonna do it, which I was like, girl, come on. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of moments where I wanted to. Well, I guess I shouldn't say I wanted to slap her since she's a of domestic violence. <laughs> but, metaphorically. <you> know, <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> When I wanted to be her friend and take her hands and be like, no. So another big red
0: flag to me was the main character, completely ironically, completely coincidentally, another reason the book isn't that like realistic, becomes friends with this guy's sister. Right. And the sister says from the beginning, do not date my brother. And part of what was weird to me about that is that like, it kind of ended at that. Like it felt like they never had a conversation about it. Like the sister and the main character, like if I were the main character, I'd be like, why? Um, right. But like that of never, <laughs> never happened. So, and obviously the sister knew about the trauma that this gentleman had been through and probably knew, you know, that, if he's done this to her, he's probably done similar controlling or not so great things to women in the past. And so I feel like that's another thing. Like when people tell us things, it's important to believe them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if my friend told me not to date their brother, I would. Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on how old you are. I feel like as like a teenager, you would be like, oh, I really want to date that brother. But like if you're older and more mature, you would probably be like, okay, like I might need to take a step back.
0: Right. Or I might need to ask some questions or like understand right. this. I mean, I never told you not to date my brother. I mean, maybe That's I did. True.
1: <laughs> well, no, I don't think so.
0: You were younger though. So. I was younger though. You couldn't listen to me then. I mean, you could listen to me, but
1: (laughs) I mean, I feel like I was just always around too. So
0: yeah. So full disclosure for anyone listening. So Nicole and my brother have been dating since you were how old? 15? On and off. Yes. But now we're married.
1: So now they're married. I
0: hope it's not on and off. (laughs) Not anymore. So anyways, when they were 15, I was 10, 11. Yeah. So Nicole's been around for a long time. Any other red flags that you can think of from him? I mean, obviously the abuse, but I'm thinking like pre-abuse.
1: I don't know if this is a red flag, but I feel like once they started dating, he like showed up to meet her mom, like randomly. She like said she was going to dinner with her mom. And then he was like, oh, I'm coming too. And I just was like, I don't know. It seemed kind of like a manipulative thing to like try and get the mom to like you so that like her daughter would be be less likely to, you know, leave you or something. I don't know. It seems like very manipulative the way he did that. So how do we
0: know as human beings, how do we know what's manipulative versus what's like, you know,
1: trying to do something nice? It's a really good question. I think when you're being manipulative, you're doing something for your own benefit. I mean, when you're being nice, you're doing it for someone else's benefit. It's not a scientific definition. By any a good, I like it.
0: I'm going to go by that definition. I like it. <laughs>
1: But yeah, I think when you're doing something nice, you don't expect to get something back from it, you know?
0: And in that case, he was doing it for his own benefit to like look good and impress the mom when she was like, no, I just want to have dinner with my mom.
1: Right. That's kind of how I took it. Maybe I was reading too much into it since I knew he was going to end up being an abuser. (laughs)
0: So I think another red flag, and this actually was after the abuse started, and this is always a red flag. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but when people apologize and say they're going to work on things, you have to actually see them do the work. Right. So he would apologize and he clearly felt bad. Like, you know, I don't think this person, this character in the book is like an evil person. He seems like a very tortured, not healthy human being, but like He did seem to feel bad about the abuse, but like feeling bad means nothing. Like, I don't want to say it means nothing, but I think so many times people forgive because they love the person and they know the person feels bad about it. They know they're tortured about it, but feeling bad does not change behavior. Changing behavior changes behavior. And so I think that was like another huge, huge thing with the abuse of I mean, uh, did he do anything different after the abuse? Like maybe bought her flowers or something from her own flower shop, which was also. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think he did anything. I mean, he didn't do anything concrete to try to change. I mean, it basically would end up being the same. And I mean, I think it would have eventually just been a cycle of where he really injured her even more. And she ended up in the hospital Mm -hmm. type of thing, you know, like I think, and I think that definitely happens. Um,
0: One huge thing, I can't believe I've forgotten to mention this. Okay, so the last, the third incident of abuse in the book, which was like the worst, and she actually did go to the hospital. I loved that this was talked about. So she had lied to him a little bit in the book. This character had lied to her husband a little bit in the book. He found out about the lies and then abused her. And so the book talks about how this character was like, Oh, well, I feel bad. Like I did lie to him. Like I did do something wrong. And I think that's another reason people go back to is because we're not perfect human beings. So if I did this, or if I, you know, have a piece of blame and whatever, that means that I can't fully blame them. And so like, thankfully the book kind of like walked through that of like, no, Just because you lie doesn't mean that they can do this. Like they're two completely, completely separate issues, which I really, really liked.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, humans tend to like control. And so we think about our own actions and what we can control. And, you know, okay, I didn't, if I didn't lie to him, then maybe he wouldn't have hit me. But I mean, she was basically lying to him because he was getting jealous of this old like you know old love or whatever so it's like it's like this vicious cycle of she was lying to try and protect his feelings so he wouldn't hurt her basically he was right
0: right absolutely Um, i mean i agree i think that that was the reason that she was lying but yeah i'm glad that they added that element of it just to show because people on the outside might think oh well you're the victim like why do you feel guilty like why do you feel bad and we almost trick our brains, and oftentimes the abuser is like manipulative and tries to trick our brains also into thinking that it's our fault. Did you see any green flags of this guy in the book?
1: Not really. <laughs> he didn't have any <laughs> green flags. It was just the other guy. That did.
0: <laughs> the other love interest had some green flags.
1: <laughs> what I were mean, the other? Oh, go ahead. Oh well, I mean, the other like red flag thing that he did was he like bought an apartment without consulting her. <laughs>
0: oh yeah he did do that which I was like
1: yeah you don't make big life decisions like that without talking to your significant other like that's not one thing that was weird to me too is when he bought the apartment for her she looked at him and was like
0: are we rich and she was like I'm a neurosurgeon like yeah we are But at that point, they were like already married. I was like, how do you not know? Like, I feel like we should have talked about finances beforehand. And now I'm getting like really nitty gritty. I know it's a fictional novel, but
1: (laughs) yeah, finances with your partner. (laughs) But they did make a point in the book to say that like they eloped, basically they ran away to Vegas and got married. So she made a point to say that like, they had a big discussion on the plane and like tried to get on the same page with stuff. So you would think maybe the financial discussion would come up. They did make a point to say this, like on the plane, on the
0: way to the wedding, she's like, right. You vote like what political party are you? And like, what? I don't even remember what else I remember. That was one of the questions.
1: Yeah. And they talked about like kids and stuff like that. And so like, I think finances is a pretty big thing to talk about. But as you have on your other podcast, people don't like to talk about finances. So maybe that's why. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable.
0: Okay, so you mentioned there were some green flags of like the other love interest. Do you remember what any of those green flags are? If we're talking about red flags, I feel like we should let people know what some green flags are.
1: I think it was just very clear with the other guy that he was putting like her comfort and happiness kind of above his own. And I'm not saying that you should do that necessarily. It should probably be roughly equal. You know, your happiness is important as as long as the other person's. But it seems like he was more willing to let her have space to breathe as opposed to the abuser guy, if that makes sense. The green flag for me... With
0: him was kind of along the same lines as you. He was very letting her kind of let him know what he needs. He wasn't trying to assume what she needed. He wasn't trying to like, you know, knock down her door and say, How can I help you? He wasn't trying to any of that. He was basically like, Let me know what you need and then I'm going to help you. But like, I'm also not going to
1: force my support on you. I think sort of listening to the other person and hearing what they need is very important. So. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, he also just gave her space when she needed to. One thing I, I actually really liked the ending of it, because she does get help from this other love interest after the third abuse incident when she basically ends up leaving. Okay. And so I thought that it was good that they didn't just sort of rush into you know him kind of being like the knight in shining armor sort of thing. Like, yes, he did help her get out of the immediate situation but he didn't like sweep right in and they didn't like rush right into a relationship and i did actually really like that yeah
0: and what nicole's referring to is he helped her she stayed at his house for like two or three days he brought her to the hospital and then she was like i need to figure my shit out and he was like okay like call yeah. me if you need anything. So, like he helped her when she was in immediate danger. And, yeah, I agree with that. It wasn't like she was like, "Okay, I'm just gonna move in with this other guy now.
1: yeah, I really I really liked that. I did think it was good that she kind of ended up figuring things out on her own. She also does find out after the third abuse incident that she's pregnant too. So, of course, you have to deal with the baby drama. This is why this is like a lifetime movie. <laughs> So <laughs> oh, like, see, that's the stuff. I'm pretty that sure we spoiled like. the entire book at this point, but it's fine.
0: Like, <laughs> you uh, you like think it's a Lifetime movie, and I'm like, oh, I love this more drama.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I mean, people like Lifetime movies. It's just not my jam. I've never been one for drama, so <laughs> <laughs> at least not since I was like 16. So, nope, I still love it. I still love
0: it. So, as much as you didn't love the book because it's like a lifetime movie would you say that like it might be helpful for people to understand domestic violence for people who maybe always wonder why does the victim go back or why can't they just get up and leave like things like that
1: yeah I mean I think the domestic violence piece basically I mean I really liked that part of it It sounds terrible like I love the domestic violence (laughs) But I thought that piece was good and was realistic. And I mean, one of the questions that she asks in the book that I think we all should be asking ourselves is like, why do we blame the victims for not leaving as opposed to asking why are these people hitting them in the first place? (laughs) Like those types of questions are good to think about. And, you know, we should be asking why, because, you know, at the end of the day, like, even if people leave, a restraining order doesn't necessarily work. I keep thinking of the Dixie Chick song, Goodbye Earl, too, whenever I was reading this. Do you know, no, that, I don't song? know
0: that song? No. But
1: yeah, it's a song about domestic violence too. Basically, oh. her friend comes back and like helps her kill him, which obviously is not the best <laughs> way to deal with domestic I mean, violence. Don't do that. <laughs> but it's like the lyric is he walked right through that restraining order and nobody seemed to care. And oh. like Yeah, I mean, that's true. Like, that's what happens. It's like, even if people leave, sometimes they come back, like, it's not that easy. So I I liked that aspect of it.
0: I agree. Well, and thinking about it in like a treatment perspective, like we're very reactive with mental health treatment versus proactive. Yeah. And we need to be reactive. Obviously, with domestic violence situations, we need to be like immediately reactive to ensure people's safety. But like I'm thinking about all of the rehabilitation programs I know for victims of domestic violence versus the rehabilitation programs for abusers of domestic violence. And it's like 10 to one, you know, like there's just yeah. like, so many more. And again, we need those, like those are a wonderful, wonderful thing, but it is like, while we're working with the victim on not going back, let's work with the perpetrator on why do you think it's okay to hit people?
1: Right. Yeah. I really liked that aspect of it. It's definitely just not that easy. The one last thing I want
0: to mention is the piece about sex in the book. (laughs) So not to say that you can't have great sex with a loving non-abusive partner, but I feel like a common theme in abusive relationships is very passionate sex, very, very like passionate fights and then passionate sex. And that lustful, passionate sex, I think often like keeps people in, in a way like, Oh, but they're, you know, they can't live a moment without me. Right. Like they, yeah. they have to show up at this meeting at, at this dinner with my mom and they just have to have sex with me and that they're, you know, coming over here and back, right. Like that kind of thing. And I want to point out because the book kind of does this, but not very directly. And I want to directly point out that that like passionate lustful sex is not healthy.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, that is not ideal. That is not healthy. Again, you can have a really, really awesome and passionate sex life with a loving, supportive partner. But, like, the way these are often portrayed, like, they often go hand in hand. And it's honestly scary because it's it's scary with like books like that that kind of like romanticize some of like the sex aspect of it and it's like oh well I want a healthy relationship but with that type of sex and it's like well that type of sex also isn't always healthy right like showing up at someone's door he literally was on his knees begging for sex like that's not healthy
1: Yeah, that
0: is not healthy you can make someone feel wanted without doing that
1: yes That that one was definitely a big one. So So, overall, would you recommend the book? I think so. Just, I mean, a lot of people like the sort of lifetime movie drama, like you you do, so I don't want to dissuade anyone from reading it. But I would caution anyone, especially younger women reading it, to maybe think about the love and sex parts and know that those are not necessarily realistic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this book. Thank you also for reading the book in a short period of time. (laughs) <laughs> no problem.
1: I am, I am a fast reader, so it really <laughs> wasn't a big deal. <laughs> and I did stay up to finish it. So it was compelling enough that I wanted to keep reading. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, that means I would recommend it, but that means- with caveats. <laughs> with, with caveats. I think that's fair.
0: I think it's fair. And, you know, I'm excited that a book like this is trending because I think it is important things to talk about and, you know, have these types of conversations about. So I'm glad that people are doing that.
1: Me too.
0: So, so thanks so much for joining me and again if you are in a dangerous situation there will be some links i'm pointing below there will be some links below <laughs> with some resources and some hotlines you can call and thanks so much for listening and i will see you all next monday Please follow me wherever you're listening to this podcast and on Instagram at Podcast. Also, I would love it if you could rate the podcast and leave a review. The best way to get in contact with me is to go to okishpodcast.com and submit a comment question. You can do it anonymously too, which is so great. I will see you guys next Monday. I can't wait.